When you can start your season in March, but not a second sooner. <laughs> it's That's So MLS, a North American soccer podcast with myself, Andrew Bates, and Nick Thornton. Nick, how are you doing? I'm uh, doing so good. I'm relieved. We're back in it. It just feels right. It feels right. Uh, uh, were you at the, the, the Whitecaps home opener? Of course I was. Who wouldn't miss the opportunity to slay the giants of Minnesota United FC? <laughs> uh, I, uh, I was in Moncton on a little trip uh, and was getting back just like sort of an hour too late. So I watched the, I had to listen to the first half on radio oh. um, in the van on the drive between Moncton and St. John in New Brunswick. And the the best part, I love listening to radio commentary. Um, the 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 part that my girlfriend who was driving with me loved the best is the moment that that uh, Mark Dos Santos walks onto the pitch. The commentators run through his whole wardrobe. They run through this whole wardrobe. They're like, okay, so Carl Robinson was a big sweater vest guy. What kind of manager is this going to be? Is he going to be a tracksuit guy? Is he going to be a suit guy? I'll and be honest. Like, these are questions my mom wants answered. So <laughs> we may laugh, but why not? But hey, I mean, like it was a comprehensive. It's true. We do. We do characterize managers through the clothes they wear. But I think it was just funny to think of as a, as a big moment. The other, the other thing is that last year, uh, I'm always, because I uh, am a white camp fan who lives so far away um, from the home ground, um, I get jealous whenever people go on vacation and are like, I'm wearing a white cap's jersey in Barcelona. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Because <laughs> I'm like, I live far away too. So... <laughs> So, like, last year, I put a jersey on the Big Moose in uh, Uptown St. John, and this year I was like, where am I going to find the statue? Where am I going to – where's the statue in Moncton? I'm going to be in Moncton. Where do I – where where do I drape a white cap scarf? I found the statue with their mayor. It's way too high up there to, to – was way up too high up there to get the scarf on. It was about minus nine. There's snow everywhere, and I'm like – uh, I'm gonna take I'm gonna take my coat off and take this uh, it's this picture. I'm gonna do it for Instagram, and then I got sick for three days. So uh, I was um, gonna say, where is it? It's not on the gram, man. Come on, you've yet to make decisions. an appearance on the Instagram channel. All right, I'll send you that picture. Um, but once I made it back to my uh, my city of residence, I uh, I got to tuck into some some soccer, which I'm very excited about. Nice. Um, the uh, I there was a lot of different results, a lot of uh, a lot of draws, but some interesting draws and some just there draws. But mm-hmm. uh, if you want to start at the beginning, let's, at the first game, let's do. I I also just like I kind of uh, I binged a little. I overindulged in soccer this weekend. I watched so many games because I just could. Uh, yeah. So I'm I'm ready. So we're uh, by the beginning. Do you mean Philadelphia, Toronto? I mean Philadelphia, Toronto. The uh, the first game of the twenty nineteen season. Uh, yeah, let's do it. Um, so I think, like a lot of people who maybe aren't Toronto FC fans, I kind of came into this match thinking like 
Philadelphia was one of our dark horses last season. They've made some important additions in in the off season, and so not really expecting much out of Toronto. Um, Toronto gets a very fortuitous penalty, I thought anyway, in the first half. Um, I think it was like the, around the thirtieth minute. A terribly taken penalty from uh, Jonathan Osorio, which I wasn't sure if he just did one of those things where he was like. Uh, we don't really deserve this, so I'm just going to take a really easy penalty. But Andre Blake has no trouble stopping it. And kind of a, a bit of a chippy match. But just before um, the end of the first half, good guy, everybody's favorite buddy, U.S. men's national team hero, your friend and mine, Michael Bradley, yeah, scores his first goal in like, what is it, two and a half years in MLS? Um and just blasts it to get the party started. Overall, though, what was kind of your impression of of this game? I caught this at first. I caught the last ten minutes on a, on a rebroadcast, so I saw that 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 insurance goal from Nick DeLeon in stoppage time. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that one, to, it was great to see more from Bradley, and and, uh, and I love the second goal he scored. Mm-hmm. Um, Two of the takeaways that I took away that I took away from this. Um, one, uh, Arrow was contributing a lot to to offense, mm-hmm. and he uh, is somebody that I don't know that necessarily like that he wasn't doing the business last year, but you know I I think that some of the additions were harder to work in. So mm-hmm. to see some success from him is really positive for Toronto. Um, the second is uh, I caught the first half of this game through the, the MLS highlights. And the first one they show is this this corner uh, this corner that uh, uh, is headed by Bedoya. Everyone in the B, D, the TFC defense is asleep. Yeah. Uh, but it goes off the corner post. And it's just like, wow, we are all still just kind of like getting out of bed of this season, aren't we? Like... <laughs> And that wasn't the last time we saw that kind of defending this weekend. And I, I just had to kept tell, I kept telling myself that, okay, it's the first game of MLS season. The defending won't be this bad all season, right? Right? They weren't. They weren't. Uh, they weren't punished for uh, for it, but it could have gone real bad real quick. I think that this also kind of shows off the. You know, it's interesting to think about how bad TFC was in preseason. They're just giving up, like, you know, all these goals to all these teams, 4 nothing, 5 nothing, and it's like, all of a sudden, it's them winning 3-1 on the first day, on the first week. So, so preseason performance sometimes does not translate at all. No, and it's, I mean, it's called preseason for a reason, right? I mean, you, you're hopefully ironing out those kinks, you're... Um, you're seeing what kind of depth you have in your squad. And ultimately, I think it's very easy as a fan to get, and I speak for myself here, it's very easy to get carried away with results and feel like your team, oh, God, we haven't scored that many goals or we've conceded too many in preseason. The whole point of preseason is to see what you've got and what you're dealing with. It's not to come out and win all five or six matches and see that you're awesome. If anything, that can actually kind of hurt teams sometimes. It's you work out the kinks um, you, you test out some of your academy products, you, you test out your draft picks, you bring in trialists, and you tinker with the systems, right? You've probably got, you've got an idea in your head going into preseason of what things will be like. I think um, 
you know, Toronto was able to do that. They pulled themselves very thin at the beginning of last year's season, really didn't focus on MLS at all. So, yeah, preseason results, um, obviously, you might see certain patterns emerge, but I think that w- what we saw largely was a number of those things got sorted out on the actual game day. The other note is I think that Philadelphia fans were pretty mad at the referee here, mm-hmm. um, both both in terms of the penalty, um, which may or may have been may or may not have been a little uh, a little soft, but uh, um, there was also a goal line clearance from Laurel Simon. Uh, they didn't show um, a replay of this in the highlight package I was just watching, mm-hmm. but um, it looked. Mostly okay to me. I don't know. I haven't seen the. I haven't seen the Hawkeye. It was. But, uh, it was. It looked awfully close in the game when I was watching it. it. It looked like the whole of the ball crossed the line, but um, in the replay since there's an angle where it certainly looks like Simon. I mean, he sees it about to cross and dives in as fast as he can, and it doesn't look like a late clearance, and it looks like he's able to get it right before the whole of the ball crosses the whole of the line. So, you know, if letter of the law is any part of the ball is touching that white line, it's not a goal, then I think it's probably safe. But I agree that I think Philadelphia, you know, kind of had a bit of an unlucky start. So I, if I'm a Fidel, if I'm a Fidel, if I'm a Philadelphia fan, I'm going unfortunate. Um, I'm not too worried that we lost three, one on opening day to former MLS champs. Um, and if I'm a Toronto fan, I'm seeing what's possible with all systems firing and knowing that, you know, this one was largely done without any of their star players. Their, uh, the big signing that just came in from it's Genk, I believe, right? In the Netherlands. Yeah. Alejandro Pazuelo, who is, uh, has finally made his, made his transfer official. Yeah. To see them really not struggling in that department. It's very clear that the addition of Laurent Simon is, is going to make a difference. So things look positive there. Um, and Toronto just needs to kind of keep up the momentum, sort out some of those um, defensive pieces. I still think on set plays, they're quite weak, but we saw that across the board in the league this, this week. So I, I wouldn't be overly concerned there. And Philadelphia has got something to build on. One of this week's, I think, most exciting games was also one of its sloppiest. Um, and that was uh, that was Colorado versus Portland in Colorado. What was sloppy? Um, what was wrong with that one? I thought it was uh, you never good, good classic. Just so tight kick defensively, em, kick em soccer game. Uh, it is not the uh, it is not the only um, snow game that's ever happened in MLS. Colorado is well known for its uh, U.S. men's national team home game that it had uh, once, I believe, in a World Cup qualifier that was also in similar conditions. Um, but it was uh, it's funny it's funny in the course of the highlights when you watch it because it just kind of it kind of all sorts of creeps up on you. It, it at at zero zero it's not looking it doesn't look too bad it, and. Of course, as if to uh, pluck directly at Mike Hartstrings, former uh, Vancouver Whitecap Kai Kamara, uh, scores early on, grabs the opening goal off of a cross, and then the snow starts to pile up. I was going to say, as Kamara scores, you're sort of like, oh, okay, like snow is starting to stick here. It's getting a little wintry out there. And then all of a sudden, 
you're like, oh, okay, it's looking, okay, it's gathering on the pitch. And then it's just, at a certain point, you're watching it and you're like, wait a second. I can't really see a thing. I can't, <laughs> I don't feel like I'm any longer watching a soccer game. I'm like trying to find a guy running around on a field of white. You see Tim Howard, you see Tim Howard rubbing his glove hands together and remembering that he's probably the only people person out there with gloves. And it's like, oh no, like, like, I can't imagine. All respect to the people who are out there uh, making it work in that weather. I was going to say, I think, you know, regardless of what attendance is due this summer, I think Colorado fans... Um, and certainly any Portland away fans that were there, hats, hats, well, hats on to you, I suppose. But I think there's probably still a few guys stuck to bleachers there. So you got this uh, penalty kick in the twenty uh, in the twenty seventh. Uh, the, the foul is conceded in the twenty seventh minute. This is, I think, when things start to get um, whack and wild. Uh, there is a player, I believe, there is a Colorado player who is offside. Um, mm. but the ball is still handled. Uh, the offside player didn't come into contact with it. Um, and, uh, I think that because this and the, in the next couple of, of key plays were just so messy, just lots of people falling all over the place. Um, which is not their fault. It's, I mean, they're, they're playing in cleats in, in like a centimeter or two of snow. It's just the, 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 the the fun and the joy of seeing something so different um, is is it comes with uh, all of a sudden nobody <laughs> at at the the best you can hope for it's not that good in terms of in terms of quality and everybody's just trying to hold on. It's a game that's played outside for the most part, so I'm not against it, but it's just you know. You, when people are slipping and sliding, and, and some, if the ball bounces off somebody's arm, it's like, what can you say? Yeah, I agree. As, and I'd love to be able to say more about this game because I think that if we took the weather out of it, there would be a lot more to say about it. Um, it's two teams that have changed. Well, Colorado's changed more than Portland, I would say, but there's certainly lots to say about these two teams heading into this season. And I think kind of. Uh, big seasons ahead for both. However, what can you really draw from this conclusion beyond it was great for Colorado to get themselves back into it? But when you're not able to take a full stride because you have to take smaller steps so that you're not slipping around on the ice um, and, and packed snow... Earlier I'd sort of said, I, I have no idea how they allowed this game to continue, but I kind of... I get it a little bit because, at, at, I mean, towards the end of the first half, you actually can't see the lines on the field anymore. But it's getting so close to the end of the first half, you're thinking, well, they can clear the lines. But at a certain point, yeah, running through a centimeter of snow, um, it just becomes virtually impossible. And it's so hard. The biggest thing is just on-field visibility that I kept thinking, at a certain point, this is just dangerous because you have so little control of if you're going sliding into something. Um, My biggest highlight was the still of uh, Tim Howard after he made the initial save on the Diego Valeri penalty, 
And then because it's so icy, he can't actually grip onto the ball properly. So he spills the rebound and Valeri easily taps it in. And he's just sitting there on his knees with his hands on his knees, just sort of the serene monk amongst the snow. Um, A wild game. I love a good snowy MLS match. I'm a little surprised they allowed this one to continue. And what else can you say beyond, I mean, a 3-3 draw seems like a thing that would happen given the conditions. Colorado concedes a penalty and two own goals. Well, one of them is rated as an own goal, but the other one is uh, a deflection in off the defender. Yeah. Um, the the good news for Colorado is that Kamara scored. Phil Haber, who is also uh, was also making his debut, he scored. Um, in the in in the ninety fourth minute, Andre Shinyashiki uh, uh, banged in the rebound off of a save that. Again, and this is the thing about this game, everybody did their best. Jeff Atnella made a, a wonderful save. It just so happened somebody was there to collect it right away. Um, yeah. The big notes. Lucky, lucky to keep the, the point uh, despite being down 10 men. Yeah, the big notes I had from this one is Benny Fellhaber looks great. Um, I mean, he's yeah. great everywhere he goes, but he's a great pickup for Colorado as well. Um, and also Nico Mosquita, our other Whitecaps friend of old. Um, it's great to see him in a starting role, and I think he's going to bring a lot of finesse to Colorado in the midfield that they've just lacked for the past two or three seasons. So um, I, I think the Colorado fans have everything to look forward to, and great to see them just dig in and grind the result out. Um, Portland, defensively a little shaky, even in preseason, but who's not going to be defensively shaky in this kind of game? So I don't know that we can draw too many conclusions from it. Do we want to talk about Vancouver? Oh, sure. <laughs> Let's do it. The the uh, the debut the debut of of this this drastically different Vancouver lineup um, it was unfortunately a three one loss to Minnesota. Um, the I think we can go through the particulars of it, but but early on, uh, very early, as I have here. Uh, Godoy is not the debut, the debut, uh, player I expected to score in this game. <laughs> but on six minutes, he finds his way, uh, to a pass that's forward. He gets it on the volley. Um. And really has a striker's goal in that one. Gets it on the, on the foot, and it almost looks like the, he stabs it in with the outside of his foot. Yeah, absolutely. It was a, like, it's wonderful in, uh, for, uh, like a wonderful, you know, you, this is the thing about this game is that both goals come from the center backs. Uh, oh, I had one three, but it's two three. Um, what am I saying? Um, the uh, Jacob Norwinski um, just totally chops somebody down and gets a penalty that was deserved. Yeah. Um, to uh, to tie it up for Minnesota. Um, I would say that if I had a comment to make about this, the the go ahead goal from Minnesota, Darwin Quintero is uh, you know sends a ball up to to Calvo who gets the header. I would say that despite the fact that Darwin takes a minute to sort of square up his pass, uh, the CBs don't get back quick enough. Yeah, I I agree. I think that um, there obviously just a little bit of communication from the back line had a had trouble. Also, that, that left flank um, for Vancouver was just left a little bit open. Derek Cornelius was starting. He is a, a natural center back, and due to, I think, a last-minute injury to Brett Levi's um, 
they asked Cornelius to start. So I'm not quite sure why they asked him to start over PC. Um, because as soon as PC came on, that channel seemed to be plugged up again and, and they seemed to do a lot better. Yeah. Um, yeah, first game of the season, I, I don't think it's the worst thing in the world. I thought Cornelius had an okay game. He just got caught a little too far up the field and had to defend the likes of Darwin Quintero. So, um, kind of a thankless nice job in. for him. Nice ball in from Wang Inbaum to, uh, to to get the, the goal that made some people think that maybe the Whitecaps could put this one together, but it ends 2-3. Yeah. Uh, what do you think of this this uh, this reconstituted Whitecaps lineup? Um, I think, like most people, I was just fascinated to see what was going to happen. The fact that we saw this high-pressing team, a team willing to control the ball, many people got frustrated because there were points in the game where they kind of reverted back to this dump-and-run style of play where they were just booting the ball over the top of the defenders. And just like when you've got... Uh, Montero standing between two tall center backs is not a great play to make. Um, however, none of the players doing that style of play were here last year, so I think it's natural when you don't fully have your team chemistry yet to just panic a little bit. So, um, a good a good early showing from them. Um, In Inbyom Huang is the real deal. The kid can ball. Yeah. Um. That that was for me the most positive thing to see. I was pleasantly surprised at physically how he held up in the game. He took a lot of knocks. Um, I think he was cramping towards the end a bit, but was able to play the full ninety. I don't know if that was in the plan, but I thought he gave a great account for himself. Nerwinski's been taking some heat from people. I thought the penalty was a a poor decision. He comes in late and has just a chop at the defender. I thought overall he did really well. Um, defensively, I thought he had a much stronger start than we've seen at various points. So I thought things were fine there. Obviously, there's there's lots of things that can uh, be ironed out. I thought Felipe didn't come into the game enough. I thought Arise had a, a fairly good game. Um, there was a turnover he had that led to a goal. But things that could be improved. But overall, a very different look Whitecaps that just seemed to have more at their disposal and the resilience to, to start a late comeback, get another goal from a center back. I just thought was such a positive thing to see and that they, they had a little bit more creativity and bite to them than they've had in the past. So it doesn't tell us a whole lot about what this season will be like. Um, and Minnesota is just such a quick team that has, added to their roster. Um, you definitely saw the influence of Ike Opara having that back line a little bit more organized and how that could help. Minnesota still, they're on set plays. I think they're going to concede a lot of goals and continue to do that. But overall, I'd say um, Minnesota looks looks good, looks very threatening, and that that pace and clinical ability that they have in their front three is, is going to be pretty killer this season. And for Vancouver... Uh, it's an okay start. I, th I thought this one was one where nobody needs to panic, um, but better things are to come. I think with uh, the the thing in, in what you say in terms of people being frustrated with the high press uh, or frustrated with the with sort of or the, the 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 sending the balls over sometimes is that 
I think that this was a, in, in some cases it is frustrating because this is like definitely like the early recruits in Pacific Rim. People do not have there, there is not sort of the connection on the drift. Yeah. Uh, there's in, in that's in some ways frustrating to watch because you can <laughs> I love feel that you it. made that reference. Like three people are going to get that. That's amazing. <laughs> and, and, and hey, we're let's all watch. I haven't watched Pacific Rim Two together. Yeah, so we, all three of us can watch it together. Uh, the, um, but that's frustrating to watch because you feel like something so much more could be done. It's just, it's just a sense. It's a sense of. Uh, of connectivity that's just not there, and and that's tough when you don't feel like something is building. Mm-hmm. Um, however, I uh, I couldn't I I couldn't look away when uh, especially at points in the second half, especially when Swaki and our dies our days came in. Um, maybe a part of it is just because there are um, there are some new faces, and you know I'm just you know learning about new uh, new players, and that's also exciting, but. I really do feel like, you know, there's something captivating about the individual players here. Uh, and once they start to learn to be able to, to work, I guess, in concert with each other, we could see something really special. Absolutely. And uh, the other pieces I would add is uh, Las Bangura looked really good. Um, and Venuto, when he came on to replace him, just both players really love to run. Both players have uh, an incredible amount of skill. So I, I think that there's a lot there. There's a lot to look forward to. Um, it, it does mean that we're probably going to have to take a few results on the chin in early goings, but um, I'd say that we have a pretty decent schedule to start the season where we've got some teams that are, are going to be good opponents, but certainly teams that we can score against as well. And yeah, we might we're going to drop some points for sure, but I feel like once the engine is up and running... Um, and and defensively, we figure things out. I, th- I think we we could be in for a, a pretty good season. There was definitely more to look forward to than to be worried about. It was important for things to be different, and they're different. Exactly. Yeah. You mentioned the uh, the Im- the influence of Ico Para. Uh, I would say a team that is feeling the influence of the lack of Ico Para was Sporting Kansas City, uh, mm. who lost. 2-1 to LAFC. Um, and I think that, that we talked about last week that it was going to be um, an exercise in seeing what the new SKC was like. What what do we associate with it? Um, you know, if we don't if we don't think of it as a as a defensively bolted down team. And that's not just down to one player, but but you know, it's not where it was two or three years ago. Um mm-hmm. They're still a team that is uh, highly energetic, especially on attack. I found myself wondering very early when I saw Johnny Russell, Russell pressing deep, but he he really couldn't um, lay it on to uh, to Namath. I wrote down on my uh, I wrote down he's good, but he needs targets. And then uh, the next sort of highlight in the list was uh, was that sort of play uh, actually managing to turn out. Mm-hmm. Um, the uh, but at the end of the day, Amelia is still great. Amelia is holding it down, but um, the uh, the Carlos Vela goal, uh, 
No, Diego Rossi. Diego, Diego Rossi, Rossi. Diego, Diego Rossi is under uh is under pressure with a center back on him and he's still able to walk through four people <laughs> yeah well i mean i think the big thing there that i took from that goal is that um rossi is i mean he's not a big guy he's he's a relatively like um slight of frame dude but he just gets his arm stuck into the center back and is able to just sort of prop himself up and the center back sort of pulls off of him at the last minute and doesn't stay with him on the run. And so that means that the other two defenders have to come forward and all of a sudden try to cover to block the shot, which I think also creates a screen for Melia. So Melia can't see the shot coming. So although it looks like Rossi's going through four defenders, I actually think it's the guy who's on him needs to stay with his man and complete that run um, and just try to get a foot in a in the way to try to block the shot and make it a little bit more difficult for Rossi. It's good work from Rossi, and the shot is pinpoint accuracy to that far post. Um, I, I definitely feel like there were points where they were missing Opara, but overall, uh, this wasn't like a defensive collapse from Sporting Kansas City. The one thing that we didn't see as much of is this Vermees-style, very patient build-up out of the back. Um and then really turn into high high gear when they're in the final third. Um, it felt like they were definitely trying to get the, the ball up the field a little quicker, um, knowing that they might want to give their defenders a little bit more time to respond to a, a counterattack. But overall, their shape looked good. Their organization was good. Um, you know, they got the, the go-ahead goal. Um, and I feel like even with the, the goal that, um, Diamande scored in the 94th minute deep into stoppage time, um, defensively, I think they looked okay. And it was really because Jordan Harvey was actually lining up to take that ball and it just sort of, whether it was a pass or a little bobble off his foot or Diamande kind of took it for him, the defenders didn't react quick enough and Diamande scores. So yeah, I think LAFC was a, a through a little bit of skill and a little bit of luck were able to come out the victors. But I didn't, I didn't feel like this was a, a collapse from Sporting Kansas City and and certainly a team that looks like they've got, you know, all the positives from last year, moving forward, but maybe still shaking off a little bit of that preseason dust. That makes a lot of sense. I think that I think that it is. Um... I, I agree that they're still shaking it off. I One of the reasons why I was sort of interested in this game is that I do feel like it's really um, informative of the of the way that both teams are early in, or like like where they're starting off from. You have you have this team that that has got the pieces on at, on uh, attack. You've got the pieces on defense, but it has to learn how to put it together. And in LAFC, you have a team. Um, that doesn't necessarily look dominant the whole way through, but has so much uh, ability that they um, are able to um, overwhelm, especially in the later parts of the game. Mm -hmm. And I think that something that LAFC doesn't get enough credit for as an expansion side and as a team with a lot of money, is they're a great team. Um, yes, they have the likes of Diego Rossi and Carlos Vela, but across the board, they have a really strong squad and you know i think that the the way that they've invested in the 
um, across the pitch speaks volumes. And I feel like just overall, they've got a great team chemistry and a little bit of resilience there that people don't give enough credit to. And I think that was kind of what was on full display there. Um, they found a way to win. And it wasn't just through wonder strikes or the power of their DPs. Um, they were able to rely on the whole squad to do it. They rely on the likes of Jordan Harvey and Stephen Betasher to get the ball up into those positions and join the attack. So they've got six players attacking instead of three or four. In the uh, Not only in their sophomore season do they have... Um, the players that they acquired through the, that they, that they started with and that they acquired through the, the course of the season, like Lee Wynn, um, all working a little bit better together, but they also brought in, um, you know, and I think one of the things that we criticized them for last year was, was stocking up, um, forwards and they brought in, um, a key center back on loan, Eddie Segura. Mm-hmm. So, so I think that that, Sort of rep- that sort of represents what you do refer to as this sort of investment throughout the pitch. Yeah, absolutely. Um, another speaking of expansion sides, we got the first look at FC Cincinnati. This was a game I was really looking forward to seeing. Obviously, uh, maybe a more Whitecaps themed show this <laughs> this week than than usual. But I was so keen to see Whitecaps to kick off again against Seattle. <laughs> see some familiar faces there. Um, what do you take away from C- Cincinnati's very strong start initially, and then uh, what unfolds through the rest of this game? Uh, first, I want to say, you know, we got to make sure that we're not overrating the, uh, the influence of all the X Vancouver players. But the Seattle fans, uh, passionately booing Fernando Addy, who hasn't played for Portland for over a year, uh, shows that everybody is finding their, uh, their own ways to relate to Cincinnati. We like to remember. <laughs> um,. You have this, uh, Cincinnati scores their first goal early on the 14th minute after Leonardo Bertone on the volley. Um, it, uh, it's, it's almost like the, but the play that got him, the ball to him is almost nicer with the, the, uh, the player sort of, like, you know, do, playing some, some high stakes keepy uppy, <laughs> uh, in order to, 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 to play the ball through. Um, it looked, it looked fine, but it's like, I think that, um, more than, more than Cincinnati, uh, wilting, and I didn't get to see the full game here, more than, more than Cincinnati wilting, what I saw out of this is Seattle missed Jordan Morris so much. Yeah. That's, that's what I saw is that with the addition of him in there as an extra option that takes Focus off of Nico Ladero. Um, you now have so many people. You've got uh, you've got Ladero, Morris, and Rui Diaz creating stuff, and you have players like uh, you know that that uh, um, that first Seattle goal. You know, you just sort of play it off through. Um, that Ladero plays it off to Leardom, who's coming in like a freight train. Mm-hmm. To, uh, to, to make that. There are so many options now. Um, I think that Ladero works. I mean, what, what attacking player doesn't, but Ladero works better when he is able to 
to feed a whole bunch of people and maybe take some shots himself as opposed to being sort of the protagonist of an attack. Yeah. Yeah. That's a really good point. Even, even if he's a star in, in, in no matter what you do, he's, he's recognizable as a star. Um, the, if there are other people around, if he could, if, if Ladero has that option to use his star power to draw attention from his other strikers, that's a positive. Um, if he can push attention to the, to the other players, that's also a positive. Um, but if Ladero is the only person who's being kind of looked upon, um, he's, the, the result is a little bit weaker, but, um, play, Seattle looked play, really powerful here. Yeah. He's a playmaker that scores goals. Um, but he's not yeah. a goal scorer <laughs> out and out. Um, yeah. so no, I think that's a, a really good point. And I mean, I feel like this one was kind of just written in the stars a little bit for Jordan Morris, just needing to come back and have a really solid start. And, you know, the kid clearly was just so desperate to play. I was kind of surprised I didn't receive more hate from Whitecaps fans. Cause it's, uh, it's no secret that my soccer crush is Jordan Morris because, I mean, it's also just the story of, like, when you have such a promising young player and they go down with injuries, and it's so clear that, like, that's literally the only thing holding him back. If he's healthy and on the pitch, he's unstoppable, and right as he was getting going, he gets a knee injury, and then right as he's coming back, he gets a worse knee injury and is out for an entire season. So I feel like he kind of had this one coming, but also both of his goals were just reminded everybody every little bit of potential that we saw in Jordan Morris, he's able to fulfill and he's not just quick, but he's clever as well. And he, he's incredibly good at using space, creating space, and also is a really good finisher as well. He's a strong forward um, and a quick forward, but he also, you know, he's got a really deft touch on that right foot. And I think that's something that is easy to overlook sometimes is we just see pace and we see strength. Um, but, but he is a really clever goal scorer as well. So it was just great to see him get the brace and come back in emphatic fashion for Cincinnati's part. Um, they have some work to do in that back line. Uh, Seattle just looked better for the most part, but Cincinnati definitely needs to organize that back line, and that falls uh, somewhat on the shoulders of Kendall Waston. I think they're going to be a really hard team to beat in the air. They've got two really tall, strong center backs, and Seattle played perfectly because they kept the ball on the floor and played to their strengths in and keeping players open, but this was just poor marking from Cincinnati and, and really just being bested by uh, a much more polished side. Uh, do you have any uh, more games you want to examine in detail, or can we move on to uh, the sort of more lightning round? I think we can move on to the, the lightning round here. I've got a couple of points, but nothing that we need to overly dwell on. Um, yeah. Uh, Dallas won one New England. Was a game that happened. This one <laughs> felt like a pre- this one felt like a preseason game, did it not? Wasn't a lot in it. Um, I, I thought both sides looked a little bit sloppy. I thought Brad Knighton had a couple of great saves. I think Dallas has a lot more to show. Um, and and I they looked uncharacter uncharacteristically a little out of sorts in this game, and I'm not quite sure why because I think that. Um, 
preseason, I know we talked about it not mattering too much. They looked very strong coming in. Do you have anything else that you take from this one? Uh, same. Still, everybody still slept. Mm-hmm. Uh, Columbus won one New York Red Bulls. Um, I think the Red Bulls had a little bit of steam knocked out of them um, coming into this and just looked flat overall. I thought that the uh, the header that they had uh, on six minutes was great. Um, I think that the uh, they were unfortunate to to receive the the own goal, and I think that they were also unfortunate to to not get a. a I, I feel like the um, the offside call they get. I think it was a disallowed goal. Mm. Um, I felt that that was also you know it really depends on. On, on whether or not you think a, a player is is onside or offside in that case, really, I think it depends on. There's a lot going on. How, <laughs> which direction people are moving? Mm-hmm. I think that VAR. I don't think that I could be wrong. I don't think that one got VAR'd. Um, I think that VAR in general did a pretty good job um, this week. Uh, and some of the ones that didn't get VAR'd were a little suspect. Like, there were still suspect calls, but most of them were the ones that didn't get reviewed. Um, I'm trying to see if this one was. Uh, but I think that, that New York could have uh, made a count, but um, Columbus didn't punish them for that off, for the, the goal that didn't, uh, the goal that wasn't. And uh, the energy in Columbus still, there. you can still sense a real energy in the stadium itself. Yeah, Harrison Awful had like four or five chances too, which. Uh, I thought he se- he seemed to come to play. Um, it should be noted that um, Bradley Wright Phillips and Daniel Royer didn't even make the trip due to the earlier in the week Champions League victory. Um, so it's not the full Red Bulls squad. I um, but yeah, kind of a game where I, I'd hoped for a little bit more out of this one, and I, I thought even outside of the result, the actual play on the pitch was a little sloppy and not not too much to write home about on this one. Houston one one RSL another one one draw. Mm-hmm. What do you think? Uh, I think that Houston showed uh, some really interesting uh, attacking flair, uh, and then this uh, the second yellow for a, a, a scissor challenge on on draw plata um, completely took the wind out of it. Yeah. Um, any any chance that Houston that Houston did have momentum to be able to coming back from from the early goal from or not the early goal the the 40th minute goal from Corey Baird, um, Houston had the momentum and they didn't uh, uh, they didn't take it uh, and partially it was because of this uh, because of this red card. Yeah, which I think was a, a good call as well. Like it. it the kind of thing where you got a guy sitting on a yellow and then he goes in like that. You, you kind of don't have much choice there. Um, so Houston still, I think, with some... Uh, seem to have an awful lot of red cards stack up throughout the season. So something that still maybe needs to be looked at. But RSL, I think, is going to continue to to get into their own gear. And it's great to see Albert Rusnak picking up where he left off. Um, and uh, Corey Baird as well, just causing all kinds of problems. So I think a, a fair result, two teams that look very similar play similarly. Other than that, um, onwards and upwards to both of them. 
San Jose one two uh, Montreal two. Hmm. Um. Yep. <laughs> Great to see Tider Tiders kick up, pick up where he left off. San Jose opened the scoring, and then just uh, really, really poor defensively again. Um, totally punished. How you let Piatti just run at you so close to goal, and nobody's really trying to close him down. Um, it's a great goal, and Piatti's a wizard, but there's just no way. Like I felt like this week the theme was, let's just sit and watch and see what the DPs do. If you're a defender, it just seemed to be sort of like watching and be like, oh, there's Piatti. I wonder what he's going to do. Not thinking, I don't know, maybe I should try to get a little closer, uh, you know, push him closer towards the end line, make it in some way difficult for him to score this. I'll just let my goalkeeper deal with it. Um, the, uh, he, Piotti can just score what he wants to, huh? He sure can. He just decides to do it. The jerk. Evan Bush is still a, a, a not underappreciated, but, um, don't sleep on him as a, a bedrock piece of this team. Absolutely not. But San Jose has just got to wake up that back line and the fact that Tider is able to get into that space again. There's just, you know, as a center back, you've got to be looking over your shoulder. You've got to be watching the spaces as well to see where a player might run into and react quicker. And although they weren't severely punished for it um, and Montreal looked very clinical in their finishing, it's, it's got to be worrying if you're a San Jose fan that that this still just continues to be such a gaping problem for them. Orlando 2, New York City 2. This one starts out like you might expect from last season with New York City coming in and just going, thank you, thank you, gets ahead. Um, Orlando looks a little bit more confident on the ball, but uh, fairly early into things, New York City FC seems to just have their number and you think like, okay, well, here we go. You could expect this result, and then all of a sudden we see an Orlando that makes a comeback? Yeah! This has got to be exciting for people to see that, you know, to come into the second half it being 2-0, um, and then Chris Mueller had this free kick that just... Oh, yeah. I don't think it actually touches anybody. It was a beautifully delivered nope. free kick, but it doesn't touch anyone. It just completely goes through and skips off the surface in exactly the right place to go past um, Sean Johnson for a, for a goal. And this is where uh, New York City FC has some work to do, talking about defending on set pieces or dead ball situations. They just... Uh, if we're going to talk about a team with a backline that's asleep, they really let Orlando back into this one. And credit to Orlando for doing the work to get themselves yeah. back into it. But similarly with uh, Akindele's goal, um, they're just he's wide open and nobody's tracking that space. Nobody's looking over their shoulder to see him steaming in. And it's just all too easy for Orlando. So although it's great for Orlando, I thought it was a really, really poor defending from New York City FC. And they just gifted this one back to Orlando to get the point. Um, absolutely unique goal. Uh, love seeing that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, DC 2, Atlanta 0. <laughs> I'm dying to know what you thought of this match. I heard on Twitter that it was garbage to watch in in, in retrospect. 
Uh, I think that the first goal um, is interesting to see that so much is created out of Rooney Corners. Lucho Acosta, both in terms of the, the rebound that sets up that goal and the second goal himself that he scores, proves how valuable he is to the team. Um, but the thing that I noticed the most out of this game, after after you know coming near to the end of a, of a cycle of highlights, is this green camel pattern that all of the goalkeepers are wearing. Oh, um, horrid. Is it... A lot of people have noted that that some of the Adidas uh, templates are not their aesthetic uh, or aesthetic preference. I love traffic, tracking uh, jersey aesthetics. Um, so almost all these templates have camel patterns on the goalkeepers to the point that there are teams that have near identical black goalkeeper with 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 camel jerseys. Uh, but the, this game features a goalkeeper who is wearing. A highlighter green shirt with a camel pattern. Yeah. This the idea the idea of of mixing a camel pattern with a- onto goalkeeper shirts, which are historically they're supposed to be contrast colors so that the referee can see them. You are not supposed to camouflage the goalkeeper. And also, if it's on like bright pink or highlighter green, it's sort of like we can see you still. We can definitely still see you. It's horrifying. I love that that's your major takeaway from this match as well. Bates <laughs> <laughs> here, the fashion. <laughs> the fashion correspondent. Um, I, I thought that this was such an amazing showing from DC. Yeah, maybe not the greatest game to watch, but we talked about Atlanta last season being a team you can beat, and DC uh, apparently is going to be writing the book on that this season in terms of how to do it. Um, helpful that they've got such pacey, clever forwards that can make those marauding runs. Um, but Atlanta's got some work to do defensively, and when a team plays like them against them, that's when they seem to struggle the most. They're still going to be an incredibly difficult team to beat this season, and uh, however, they DC defended against them beautifully, Gave them almost absolutely nothing. There were so few chances created by Atlanta. Atlanta fans went off and were furious about this match, which I think tells you everything you need to know about how DC played against them. Every single team in MLS needs to be watching this game in preparation to play against Atlanta if they feel like they have a hope of beating them or getting anything out of a game. I thought Ben Olsen lined his team up perfectly um, and... DC was able to just kick things off and and really run this game. There was a really very few points where you thought Atlanta had any uh, skin in the game here. So well done to DC. Uh, spare a thought for the Champions League. Uh, New York Red Bulls lost two nothing to Santos in the first leg. They outshot the visitors, but still lost because Mexico is hard. MLS teams did well against Mexico last year, and MLS got really excited about it and made three new competitions about it. But Mexican teams are still extremely difficult to defeat, and and uh, it's still a, a huge accomplishment when it happens. Um, Houston lost two nothing to Tigres at home, uh, in in what we, I recognize from when Whitecaps play Tigres as a as a real classic Tigres model, where it looks like a real promising nil nil draw until. About the seventy eighth minute, when they hit score twice in three minutes, as soon as you get tired, 
They're like uh, the 2009-2010 uh, yeah. Chelsea team that just kicked the ball around for hour 75 minutes, and then they're like, okay, guys, um, do you want to wrap this up? Okay, can you go score, and then I'll uh, I'll score another one right after you, and we'll go home? Mexico is hard. Uh, Sporting Mexico's Kansas hard. City also went to Panama and found out that, that none of us knew uh, before Toronto FC went down there that Panama is also hard. Uh, the Independiente uh, have beaten Sporting Kansas City, uh, as we've been speaking, uh, 2-1 in the first leg. Absolutely. And the final MLS Monta- match I think we, we have is uh, LA beat Chicago 2-1. Oh, did I miss that one? Oh. You did. Uh, it's a, I mean, it's, it's not a ton to talk about it, really, with it. Uh, uh, LA uh, solved their 4 DP crisis by getting rid of Giovanni Dos Santos. I think it's awkward that his brother is still there. Like, I'm the valuable one. Um, great well, result I mean, for David Austin. not Austin. wrong. <laughs> <laughs> great result for LA. Chicago, uh, God, I just, I'm just going to say it now, and I'll just get a little bell for all future episodes so I don't have to say it again. Mark the far post. Especially, Mark the far post. Especially if the person on the other team who's running towards the far post is Slatin Ibrahimovic. This reminds me, I'm a big Frank Zappa fan, and I love uh, I love the, the character from the Joe's Garage album. This is the central scrutinizer. Mark the far post. Well, I truly only you get that reference. Man, we're going deep cuts tonight. Deep cuts. Um, the only other thing I want to add about this game is just a little shout out to everybody's friend, David Osted, who just throws oh, yeah. all technique out the window to just somehow will the ball out of the back of the net by throwing a palm back, going the opposite direction to deny Zlatan a goal. Um, it's just a brilliant piece of goalkeeping that you have to go. Sometimes... You just got to find a way to keep the ball out of the net. And then he goes on, like, Chicago breakfast television. And rather than inventing some sort of story behind it, he's just like, I uh, I just, tr- there is no technique there. <laughs> just that get, is, get, I like, need, whack the ball away. I need a gif of that because it seems like he cancels his jump in halfway. Like, he's just like, just it's controls a, it. It's like in the middle of it, he he forgets that he's left the oven on. He's like, oh, hang on a minute. I got to get, oh, I'll just scoop that out of there. I le- I've relatable. left something behind. God, relatable. Uh, a lot of promise <laughs> in Chicago in this, um, but uh, a lot of promise out of Chicago in this. They got overwhelmed, but I think that especially the um, the addition of CJ Sapan is... Uh, even if it, even if the, the the two players I noticed the most were Sapong and Elsted, great, great additions. Not a bad way to start. No. Um, the uh, the other major news out of MLS uh, that sort of people have been talking about, um, the you know everybody uh, every every broadcast gets some uh, some little interviews with with people if you were lucky enough to have. Don Garber in attendance. Uh, it, at your halftime, you may be able to uh, to stick a microphone in his face. And Jonathan Tannenwald uh, of the Philadelphia Inquirer um, managed to talk to Don Garber about um, some of the issues that have been cropping up with um, with far right fans in New York City. 
um, and his response was really not um, acceptable, or not, I don't know if acceptable is how you would put it, but I think a lot of people have found it. The Guardian called it tepid. Mm-hmm. Um, I think compared to the scale of the of the challenge, it really isn't enough to uh, to to for for people in terms of making them feel safe and making them feel like essentially the issue is that that um, some of the people that got involved in a um, uh, a, a a brawl uh, involving the the Proud Boys far right group in New York. Uh, one of them was a New York City supporter, um, and there have been other sort of instances of of people feeling like far right stuff is is trickling in. Mm-hmm. And and I think that this is something that honestly um, you hear cropping up around New York versus New York games, and um, people kind of don't want to think about because they don't want to associate violence with soccer and. The thing is that um, soccer can be a wonderful place to allow you to uh, to to organize and, and to relate to people and to express yourself to your your greatest potential. Um, but supporters culture, if you don't be really serious about it, mm-hmm. can be an avenue for. People who want to cause violence and people who want to engage in, uh, in, in hate speech and people who want to organize. And, and European soccer really had to work. This is, I think, what people don't find, um, inspiring about the Garber statement, which includes like, you know, the last thing this league is going to start do is, is to start getting into profiling who people are and what their backgrounds are. Right. And, and Alexi Lawless talked about it as like you know policing people's thoughts. Uh, what we're talking about is Alexi Lawless. Is, <laughs> yeah, I, I don't understand. I mean, yeah. When is the what, it's what, when is the last time he offered anything constructive or clever? You know, anything that adds to the conversation. Um, and and it's just such a typically devoid of any sort of critical thought response to to to. As if that's it's such a non-opinion to be like, well, you know, we don't want to police people's thought. And you're like, well, as pe- many people have already pointed out, I mean, you get banners taken away for, um, you know, challenging a club's ownership. You get banners taken away for saying refugees welcome. So to try to pretend that this is some apolitical environment where it's just all about the soccer is just such a giant crock and everyone knows that. Um, anti-fascist, anti-racist, ain't always Seattle got taken down at a Whitecaps game. And that sucked as a Whitecaps fan. I don't like that. Yeah. Because I, because I appreciate, you know, that I have been able to, like, you know, when I went to New York, uh, Red Bulls, I bought a, a anti-racist, anti-fascist scarf. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I appreciate that, um, as being something that I can, uh, I can engage in. And when you talk about, you know, the Guardian article on this does say that the people do have evidence of, of, of symbols that are being shown in the stadium or whatever else. And, and that, that's, that goes beyond policing people's thoughts. And we're also you know? not talking here about policing people's political opinions or political leanings. We're talking here about violent fascists and neo-Nazis yeah. and white supremacists. So on all, on all fronts is the second that you're going to grant any shred of legitimacy to this totally illegitimate worldview 
you're gonna you're you're opening up such a massive can of worms. And if we're just gonna take it on a you know practical level and think about well, Don Garber's statements, well, they're they're trying to draft this new league policy about it. So if supporters groups are asking for more clear language to come out and be even more vague about it and even more non-committal, it's like, well, why are you drafting a new policy then? Who are you trying to protect? What are you trying to do to the game? And basically saying that, you know, this whole don't cross the line thing, the players are bought into it. Um, many clubs' ownerships are bought into it. Support uh, All across the league, supporters groups are bought into it. So why is the league and the league commissioner now backing down from this and talking about it as if, oh, we don't want to police people's thoughts. Nobody's asking for that. It's like you're not even answering the basic question or concern. People have legitimate safety concerns and are trying to stamp out legitimate safety threats and things that go against everything the game stands for. It's just it's infuriating that this kind of response is is happening. And I'm I'm glad that the folks that are stepping up, um, and the one off the top of the head I know is Timbers Army, the Portland Timbers uh, supporters group that are challenging this and looking for some clarity and trying to stamp these things out. Um, I'm, a high, I'm behind them 100%. I think that, that uh, the another thing that I, I dislike out of this, behavior that is not taking place in our stadiums, as somebody who has been an away fan, I have found supporters groups very welcoming, very lovely. They've, they've been super, um, accommodating. I have found the environment outside of MLS stadiums occasionally nervy. Yeah. Not to say that anybody is, that it is in any way in a scale of, of where people are at before, but you know, I've had water bottles thrown at me. I've had people get their, scarves stolen that are in like people breeze past people and, and grab the scarf one end of a scarf and keep running and steal their scarf like like there he is that's not necessarily in the, in the grand scale of, of what happens across the world that's not anything to write home about but the point is if you what people are talking about here is intimidation and I think that there is intimidation that takes place outside of stadiums. 100%. And it's also happening on, in public view as well. And there's plenty of examples of it. And again, supporters groups do a lot. Not all of them equally, but a lot of them do try to make sure that if somebody's from a marginalized community, they're feeling welcomed into the soccer stadium and that they can cheer on their team. And uh and and really do take it seriously that if anybody's feeling intimidated or feeling threatened that there's something being done about it so it's just i mean i ultimately think that there's going to be enough pressure on the league and pressure on don garber to be clearer and to do something about this it's just so incredibly disappointing when ownership groups and when the league itself can't seem to get on the right side of things. Not that we're necessarily looking to large sports franchises as our bastions of human rights <laughs> and progress, but I think it's okay to demand more. And I'm, I'm really proud of the fact that soccer is a sport that's been historically trying to be more progressive and, and counter this sort of soccer hooligan culture and this violent idiocy and do something about it, especially in North America. That to me is one of the the great things about the game um lafc supporters had a a big campaign and 
I mean, they've done more than the league already, just in terms of saying what's going to be tolerated and what's not going to be tolerated. There's no reason why the, the, the league itself can't step up and do the same. I understand if you only have the, like, if you, if you can only remember the last 12 months of your life at once, I understand why the league is so worried about this. In that case, because... Don Garber might be off the hook. He's got a new, we know he's got a new club every six months, so. <laughs> Maybe that's why. If, but it's like, if you only think about what has happened, the, like, like one reason why in our current climate, a, a sports league is, is loath to, to step into this is because, um, sometimes taking action like this can really annoy people. Like they can get mad and they can try to economically, you know, protest your team or they can just harass you because they're intimidating. Exactly. Who knew? Yeah. Um, and, and it can be hard, but like in, in certainly no, no league wants the type of attention, um, that the NFL has gotten. Uh, since the issue of, of players protesting the national anthem. Um, nobody, and, and if, if you're only thinking to that level, um, that, maybe that's why they're trying to be so vague about it. But if you think about the history of the game, awful things can happen if you don't step in and make clear what you're not allowing and what people can do. The history like, of the game like, and the history of fascism, like, do you, want to, do you want to annoy 16 fascists now, or do you want to have to deal with it when there's 600 of them? Like, historically, I think it's safe to say that as soon as you see the skinhead, it's time to take action before there's, they show up with more of their friends, you know? Yeah. Um, and, and that speaks to, you know, things that are happening in BC soccer right now as well, and some of the, the revelations that are coming out and, and the, the brave stories being told about the types of things players have been subjected to is that uh, it's it's incumbent it's it's imperative that teams and leagues take a strong stance and not just treat these things as PR issues but treat them as human rights issues and do the right thing. Um, this this fear of oh what's the blowback going to be? The blowback is always so much worse if you let these things fester and you quietly fire someone or you don't make a, a strong enough statement and you don't actually address the cultural thing that's making these things happen. It's going to continue to happen and it is going to cost you money. It's going to cost you support further down the line. Yeah, absolutely. Now <sighs> I'm angry. <laughs> I feel like I got a lot of, off my chest there. I think we both did. Now I'm just fired. <laughs> now I'm just fired up though. Um, do you, uh, do you want to go to, to, to Halifax now or do you want to do that next week? Let's go to Halifax. So the, uh, uh, the Canadian Premier League is, uh, every, every week it gets a little more real. Um, the, uh, the preseason has started in many places where we, it has started, uh, also in Halifax. The, kind of what this involves is the drawing together of, um, you know, in this, in this early stage, we've been hearing a lot about player signings in various places, mm -hmm. uh, both in terms of, of Canadians that have been from far afield and from players that have, uh, 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 come to tryouts or, or in some other way impressed. And this weekend, people have been now drawn together and for the first time are playing together as teams. Um, as the senior teams in these, uh, in these 
organizations. Uh, I know that some of them have had games already at sort of a U20 level or what have you, but a lot of, a lot of the players, um, saw their new cities for the first time, uh, in the last weekend. And, uh, just before that all happened, um, I was able to sort of get a preliminary chat with, uh, Halifax Wanderers head coach Stephen Hart and, uh, who is also a former coach of the Canadian men's national team, mm-hmm. um, on two separate occasions and also the Trinidad and Tobago men's national team. Um, and I sort of got to talk to him a little bit about his feelings, uh, or, or about the, about the process of getting people together and, and, and putting the team together and, and where the Premier League is going to fit in terms of, um, people's attentions and, uh, in, in how he's looking to evaluate uh, players in the coming week, uh, weeks. So let's talk about that now. So uh, it's been uh, the the preseason procedure uh, is nearing its conclusion. How uh, how is training going? Well, no, we haven't started yet. Oh. Uh, we're going to we start on this on this weekend. We will we will begin um, with with uh, a large number of the, the, the players arriving um, on Friday and we'll, we'll begin everything starting on Saturday right through we, we start. Um, what, uh, what has your routine, I guess, been before, uh, you know, in, in this stage of, the, uh, of preparations? Well, of course, um, there's a, there's, there was a lot to be done, uh, making sure that the medical team was ready to, to conduct the medicals for all the players. Um, the, 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 the training modules all designed and, uh, and, and that sort of thing being, being worked out with the physical trainer and myself and my staff. And then, of course, trying to get all the players to arrive um, at a convenient time so that we can uh, utilize the best possible um, time space uh, for, for things like their medicals, for getting them accommodated and, and everything that goes with that. I saw the picture on Twitter of Zachary Secunda posting his, his airplane ticket as he, flows, as he flies in from Ottawa. Nice. Is it a is it a is it a odd is it a tough process sometimes trying to is it like trying to herd cats? Well, I mean it's a it's you know it's a it's a brand new situation a brand new league. Um, we we of course we you know you, you expect that you're going to have some some hiccups, uh, but there's a lot that goes into it. Of course, you have you have the local players that uh, it's, it's easy to to more or less get them get them in here. And then you have to deal with the foreign players, their visas, and everything else that goes along with that. Um, and then, of course, uh, the distance they're traveling from, you have to make sure that you are prepared to to give players the right rest and recovery before they really start working uh, at 100%. Now, we're a, a, an MLS show, uh, but we, we're a North American show, but we cover mostly MLS. Uh, in, in MLS, for the last couple of years, there have been usually one or two expansion teams, and so we've we've followed the way that preparations work there. Uh, but the unique thing in this situation is that nobody knows what anybody else is doing. Has that been strange for you, or uh, you know, trying to, I guess, prepare in the dark? Well, I mean, 
you have a, a vision in mind of how you want the team to play based on the, the players that you, you managed to bring into the club. And really, the first stage of all of this is, is sort of putting the players together, getting them to create some sort of understanding of, of how each other plays, their strengths, etc. And then you build towards the formulation of the, of the team and how you are going to approach games. And then later on in the, in the entire process, you're going to start you know, trying to figure out what, what the opposition does and how they go about their games. The way you put that, I know I've definitely seen uh, fans online trying to rank how each team is, like, you know, trying to, to parse what teams are going to be like just via the names and what their history is. But it sounds like you are kind of more, for you, it's all going to come together next week when players start actually interacting. Yeah, of course. I mean, fans are fans. They're going to have fun with it and, and, and a lot of speculation as to as to what lineups would look like and, and how people are going to play. But really and truly, you know, it's not until you start to to see the players, their working relationships, their qualities, um, how they how they react to certain situations. You you never know what the the team is go, is going to be actually like. It feels like um, when you look at you know some of the players that you've brought in that you've known through your time with Trinidad and Tobago. Um, and, and this is certainly not the only team that I've seen that sort of stuff with recently. Um, a lot of clubs, especially in sort of North America, are being built using that relation relational style where it's like a player that you've seen, that you trust, or you've talked to somebody that you know that has seen that player or trusted that player. Um, is that something that is a part of your style here? You know, you, you, when we when we sat down and, and you know we're looking at the, 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 how we're going to formulate this squad, um, of course you have a vision of, of what you'd like to do. Uh, one of the things for me was to have um, a, a, a fairly young squad, and then more or less the second thing was to have some experience within that squad that will not only teach them to be uh, professionals on and off the field, but would you know, would have a very good understanding of, of handling all sorts of, of difficult situations. Um, and once that was established and we said, yes, that's the way we want to go, the next part of it, of course, was trying to get players that, that probably have some sort of working relationship um, that would ease the, the, the sort of stress of, of moving to a new country, moving to a new place, and be, you know, have somebody alongside you that that is familiar with you that could you know provide some sort of support. Now, I saw in another interview that that a lot of the players uh, have somebody else on the team that's a teammate. Yeah, uh, is that part of that that feeling of of getting? Is is that something that you think will help? As you said, like get people used to a strange or new city. I mean, the, the off-the-field part, yes, of course. And, of course, the on-field um, on part of it is they already have some sort of working relationship. They already have some understanding of each other. Now, in terms of your relationship with the city, the, you were uh, working at Soccer Nova Scotia for a while. I saw that the release that said that you were doing TV stuff the last time there was a, a club in the city. Um, 
how has sort of that reintegration to Halifax been for you? Well, it's, it's you know, it's, it's a place that I'm comfortable with. Um, when the last time they had a professional team here, you, you got to take your hats off to the people who tried to do it back in the old CSL. Um, I wanted to be part of that as a, as a player, was offered to be part of that as a player, but I had all, all you know, just started the the job as, as TD of, of Soccer Nova Scotia and the reality was that uh, that job was more important to me at the, at the time. Um, so fitting in here, I mean, I went to school here as well. Um, it's, it's very easy and, and, and my daughters are here, so it's, it's easy for me. Now, um, when uh, the, the, you had the signing last week of, of Kwame Otara, am I pronouncing that correct? Yes. Um, I'm based in St. John, New Brunswick. And so I think a question, because there are many different cities in the Maritimes, including Moncton, where they hosted games for the Women's World Cup, that are interested in, in top-level soccer. Is the club trying to have some sort of a, a maritime push? How is it? Do you know if there's going to be any sort of attempt to, to reach out to other um, Atlantic Canada provinces? The club or the league itself? The club. The club, yeah, the, the league, I don't know what, uh, what, I mean, I don't know how the league is actually going to go about it. It would be very nice to have a team in, in, in Moncton mm. and one in Quebec City. That would, that would make the link so, so unique. Um, as for the club, yes. I mean, for the club, we would like to include as many players from, from the Maritimes as, as possible as many players from the Halifax region as possible, but we have to also be uh, realistic. This is, a, this is a competitive professional environment and you, you cannot be picking players based on, on, on sentiment. Um, you're trying to put together the best possible team and uh, the players in the Maritime region, uh, over time you can scout them, look at them, bring them in and see if they, if they can fight for a position on the squad. I guess my my thought as well with fans is there going to be is it is the club going to be sort of I know that there's a lot of focus on the city itself but is there going to be kind of an attempt to be the Maritimes club at least until some somebody you know a Moncton comes in or whatever we, would, we, would, we definitely hope so we we had uh, we had some of the staff go down to to Moncton recently fantastic turnout for the sign in. Of Otara, um, it, it was just, you know, it was just almost uh, a situation. I think 200 people showed up. Um, so it just goes to show that that you know, just that one player, just that one region, we, we will have some following on, until we become rivals. That is. <laughs> uh, and what do you think of of Watara? Um, you know, uh, you know, having met him, um, he was. Uh, very, very articulate when he speaks, uh, gentleman off the field. Uh, I actually, uh, w along with my equipment manager, we went to, to, to scout the games in Moncton. We saw him, uh, we were impressed with him there, and then he came to the, the, the trials, and he had a, he had a, a very good trial. Um, and I, I just thought it was one of those players that uh, deserves a chance to, to be in the game, and we'll see how well he adapts. It seems like there is sort of 
um, when people have talked about sort of the philosophy behind what clubs are, or, or what players are going to, or sorry, what, what role the Canadian Premier League plays, some of it is to call players home who are playing in, in, in lower European leagues. And some of it is to find players like that who maybe would not have been discovered sort of otherwise is, is what I've heard. Um, what's your, as somebody that has worked so like very closely with uh, Nova Scotia and also the national team for player development, um, do you think of things in terms of having goals in a player development scenario for, for the country and for the national team? Or is the, the immediate focus just to try and build a presence in the city and sort of stabilize as a team? I think it's a very good question. And I, I think you can answer your, your own question in, in the sense that it's both. Um, we, we actively seeked out players that, uh, that have done everything possible to, to be professionals in the game. There's not a lot of opportunity in, in Canada um, there's, there's three professional teams and, and, and uh, another two professional teams playing in, a, in, a, in, a, in an American league. Um, so it was it was inevitable that the, the players had to had to travel into any league that they could find um, just to fulfill their dreams and their ambitions. Um, now with the, the CPL, it, it, uh, it, it's our job um, to bring those players back home. Uh, beat the bush, so to speak, to, to, to present these players on a, on a professional stage. And then whatever happens from there is up to the, the national coach in charge. Um, so, yes, we have a role to play in the development of, of, of players. We, have a, a, and we also have a role to play in the development of the club and the establishment of the club. Do you look at that as sort of a, a career-long arc for you like 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 as something that you that could be the the is it a midpoint or is it sort of like the accomplishment of, of something you've tried to do throughout your various positions in and out of Canadian soccer I think um, I've always sort of put development uh, development first of course when I was national team coach the, the objective is to try and qualify um, to go as far as possible in, in Gold Cup competition, to try and qualify for the World Cup, etc., etc. Um, but but I gave quite a few players their debut and gave them the opportunity when we could to to sort of stamp themselves on the national team program. So development's always in the back of your mind and has to be in the back of your mind. Um, and now with this role, um, the, the the people that that wanted to put this club together were very convincing. Um, I had a gentleman by the name of, of Mike Hudson who I had worked with and who worked here as a technical director for a club. Um, he was very convincing in, in bringing me forward to the owners of, of Halifax Wanderers. And, um, you know, I, I, like, I like this sort of vision they presented. And, uh, I, you know, I really hope this is, a, a, you know, seen as a long-term project for the benefit of, of the maritime of the Nova Scotia region and, and for Canada. That's a good, you know, when you talk, I'm, I'm curious about sort of the approach to the team, because, or your, uh, like the team's approach to you and how you ended up here, because in a sense, especially at the very early stages, you were one of if, the club, if not the league's marquee signings. 
uh, let alone a player because of because of your own history. So you so so you kind of got the that outreach. What do you think put you over the top to come here as opposed to taking another national team job or 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 a more established league? Uh, well, I, it was it was one of those situations where I had done two two national teams, my adopted uh, my adopted homeland and my own country, and I mean nobody in coaching can ask for for more than that. And then I had a couple of you know a couple of interviews, a couple of discussions with some other countries, and and a couple of clubs as as well. But this was a unique project. Um, I was going to be offered the opportunity as as the general manager, which I had never done before. So I saw this as a as a massive learning uh, opportunity for myself. And then, of course, the freedom to, to to put the team together. And as I said, you know, uh, hopefully this is just this is. I mean, we're in the embryotic stage here. So hopefully this is a, a long-term project we could get this year off the ground with with everything new stadium um, develop our, our training facilities as we as we grow and, and then sort of build a club with a vision of, of how you'd like to see the team play and what we stand for as, as a team both on and off the field that makes sense and so so it is kind of a, as opposed to sort of like a three-year plan or a five-year plan, the, the immediate idea is just like have a good season and establish that connection with the fans starting off. You know what I mean? Like, so so it sounds like you, you're really focused on making this year a successful one? Well, yeah. I don't think any one of us in the, in, in the league um, is going into thinking that we don't want to be successful. Of course, right. we want to be successful. We want to... We want to have a good run and, and get people excited. And I mean, really and truly, the fans are as new to this as as we are to, to this whole uh, this whole league. Um, so of course, we, we you have to earn you have to earn their trust. You have to earn their respect. Um, but I think we have a, a group of followers and a group of fans that that, that have a good understanding of of, a, of the game and how you build towards something. Um, and you know, as I said, there's there's going to be hiccups along the way, but you know, we would like to be as competitive as possible in in, in the first year, to be exciting, um, and also to to show that we have a group of players that really and truly want to be part of of Halifax Wanderers. Now, um, for somebody who will be tuning in for the first time, uh, either on the twenty eighth. When they when you play Pacific or, or on the fourth in the home opener, what are who are do you think some some players that are going to be uh, players to watch for or, or standouts in the first season as as you know real fan favorites? Well, I think that one there's going to be anticipation of what the the, the foreign content is going to look like, right? We, you, you never know what they're going to look like, how they're going to adapt. Um, the, the biggest thing about playing in a, a, a league in North America, and of course in this league, is going to be how they adapt to travel. So that's the unknown, right? And, and then, of course, you have the players that are, that have represented Canada, that have been part of the Canadian program, that you expect that they will make they will make an impact. They'll be the most comfortable players. You expect them to make some sort of of, 
of impact. Um, and uh, for, for me, uh, that's going to be very important, uh, important especially for the, the veteran Canadian players. Um, they have made a big decision to, to come to this league. Uh, they understand the importance of that decision. Uh, hats off to them. Um, I have nothing about uh, praise and respect for them making that decision. And, and I think they will be the ones to sort of get everybody uh, excited about what's happening. What relationship do you expect to have um, or to not have with MLS and coaches in MLS? Well, I mean, uh, it's, that's difficult for me to say. Um, the, 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 the coaching fraternity is, is one always usually of respect and, 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 and uh, a working relationship of sharing of, of, of ideas. Um, and at this stage, I, I don't think it'll be much more than that. Um, as, as we grow, I'm, I'm sure there's going to be more sort of uh, a working relationship in, in terms of player loans and, and discussion on players and players being bought and transferred, etc. Right. And so I guess that, you know, because people have asked that question that, you know, MLSE was talking about trying to, the, about still having an interest in being in the league one way or the other. And certainly there's been not a, a very sort of lack of interest in having any sort of feeder clubs. Nobody, nobody has, is, is fans are, seem to be against that. But I mean, the sort of things like you say with loans. So you, would you suggest that's something that's kind of like, a little bit more down the road, like let's get things rolling and then see what might or might not happen. Yeah, there's, there's no doubt about that. There's there's a lot of people that are going to sit back and say, okay, let's let's see what this uh, this league brings, um, what the the administration and the the soccer ops part of the league, how, how they're going to go about their business. Um, I, I think it's been very very professional and eye opening up to this point. Um, and, and then slowly and, and surely, as people get a little more comfortable with it, I, I think you're going to see uh, things beginning to happen. Um, who were you, uh, so far out of the announced roster, um, who were you the most sort of, what was the, was there, is there a player that you would identify as somebody you were pleasantly surprised to get to work with or to get to see again? has its roster compatibility uh, deadline coming up. Are there any, is there, is there anybody else that you, how many players do you think that you might like be trying to add between now and, and season start? Um, well, uh, I mean, we, we have some offers on the table. Um, 
and we are in discussion with some players. Um, we're, we're probably looking to add uh, four four more players uh, in specific uh, positions. The uh, the objective, of course, was to have two players comfortably for each position, um, and and within those two players, with, with diff- each one with different sort of qualities. Uh, which would give you the opportunity to of some flexibility in how you approach games. Um, so there's there's still a bit of work to be done. What what role do you hope? I'm trying to think about this in in the sense that I feel like um, a lot of some MLS fans do have a, an English Premier League t- team that they support. Um, some MLS fans don't really want to deal with European stuff at all. Like, they're just like, I focus on North America. Um, this is my team. Do you think, what role do you want or think or hope that the, the Canadian Premier League will have in terms of being either fans' main team or, or a team in a constellation of teams? What do you, where do you see things fitting with that? That's, that's difficult to say because, you know, I've, I've, I've been around a long time. I've spent a lot of, a lot of my life all over the world. Um, you, you, go to, you go to Spain, you have people that, that support their local club of their, of their region. They die hard for them, but they also have a second team. They will also tell you, well, you know, Barca is my, my second team or Real is my second team. This, this seems to be normal. Um, it's the same I found in, in, in other parts of the, of, the, of the world. And then you go to somewhere like Argentina, there's no such discussion. There's <laughs> um, I, I mean, one way or the other, I don't, I'm, I'm, I'm a bit of a, of a fanatic. I watch all sorts of football from all around the world. Um, I enjoy that. I just enjoy the game. I, I even enjoy just going and watch street, uh, street football. So it, for me, it doesn't matter. Um, what are your hopes? I guess uh, we talked about like sort of this year, but but five years from now, where do you see this league, the team, and and sort of its relationship with the national program? Well, I don't know if I'll be here five years from now, but right. what I do hope is that is that the league continues to grow coast to coast. Um, introduce the professional games into regions that really and truly have, have a long history with the, with the game, but maybe not the professional game. That would be nice. Um, sort of connecting those, those, those missing dots. But most of all for the league, I hope they're around a long, long time where I could just be a fan and, and, and just go out on a Saturday and watch the local team or sit down and watch them on, on, on TV. Um, I think it's long overdue. We have been the only country that I can think of trying to qualify for a World Cup without a professional league. Um, and then from a player standpoint, I really hope that it, it provides that that base uh, for players to, to, to cut their teeth, to learn to be professionals, to, to step into bigger and better, um, those that have the ambition to do that. Because as someone who coached the national youth team, I've, I've come across so many, many talented players whose basic uh, dream um, had to be put aside by the age of 19 and 20. And, and I'm talking some genuine talent. And we've missed out on that talent. 
but you can't look back. Um, you just have to look forward and hope that never happens again. That makes sense. I, I like the idea that you talk about of the local team because I'm somebody who who I lived in Vancouver for a little while, but I've lived in, in places like St. John or Kelowna or like Markets or Port McMurray. When I lived in Port McMurray, I would go down to FC Edmonton games. And it's like you really wished in thought the way that hockey is sort of, you know, spread out throughout the country or that, that soccer is spread out throughout other countries, that it's like, a town of a certain size should have a senior, a senior team to follow. You know what I mean? Like that's something that I've always, you know, thought and wish. Like, geez, you think that these teams that that could exist here, and and maybe that can help sort of push that vision along. Yeah, that would be. I mean, that would be so good. Uh, you know, I, when I came here, I played here in the in the early early eighties. And you'd go to somewhere like like Newfoundland to play a game, and it be sold out. I mean, it was it was uh, spectacular. And, and I remember when, when I first came up, uh, I watched Saint John Die Dock uh, play a game here, and, and and the place was 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 packed, you know. So there is the history of that, and, and it, it was allowed to die. Um, and and really and truly, I I, I hope we could. We could bring those those old supporters out that supported the game, regardless if there was three thousand people or sixty people there. Those those people would always be there. They were part of that. I really hope they could come back out and, and, and let us show them the respect for supporting the game for so long. Now, uh, I really appreciate your time and talking to me today uh, because I started following uh, the Canadian. Uh, men's program around 2006-2007 there's uh, there's a lot of great memories for that time but one question I feel like I have to ask was Atiba onside? Yes he was well, he was he was put onside when, when when the player tried to head the ball back to the keeper um, so you know we didn't have VAR so we have to accept it <laughs> thank you so much more than welcome Uh, what did you think about that? I loved it. First of all, um, great questions. I uh, appreciate when you're able to to chat with folks and bring different perspectives on. But I, th- I felt like um, you, you're good at asking provocative questions without annoying people, and I'm not, I'm not sure I have that set of skills. <laughs> <laughs> but one of the things I really appreciated is is just that um, is how open he was and candid about. Um, you know, just the work that goes into putting a team together. And I know we've experienced a little bit of that from the rebuild of the Whitecaps in the off season, but just that things are much more difficult than it may seem to the outsider. And, you know, fans can get restless, but there's just so many pieces that need to go into place in terms of putting a team into place. But I I love the optimism there. and, And it really seems like there is, my biggest takeaway is just, there's a sense of cooperation there between um, the coaches and the, and the teams in the Canadian Premier League, and, and hopefully that's going to continue to expand and then extend eventually to MLS, and we'll see these as entities that are helping each other, um, yeah, and and helping each other build their markets and Im, improve players. And somehow I'd kind of forgotten just in all of this um, media and fan hype around the league that this is really just opening up such a huge opportunity to develop Canadian talent 
in Canada that this is, is really, uh, you know, it's a big experiment, but there's great potential here for what could be for the future of Canadian soccer um, for a really long time to come. And, and that alone is, is really exciting and to see and to have somebody at this level with this kind of experience as a part of that, I think is something to, to be excited about. When you, when you think about like, like the, the cities, the markets that, and we talked about a little bit about this in the interview that deserve, that, that could support a team or that you think should have a team. Uh, and you, you think that this is somebody who's had such a storied tradition, like such a, a storied career in soccer that also remembered the last time there was, was, was on the ground the last time there was a team in Halifax. Um, so is, is just so valuable. And in the, the player that's from New Brunswick, uh, Kwame Otara, who's, uh, uh, who's been brought in. It's like you look at him. He's a guy who, uh, oh, I had it, uh, I had it up here. He was in the, like, he did a trial with Levante and then went to school in New Brunswick. Right? Like, like that's such a, a path where you're like, he's, uh, I, he, uh, is so committed to, to playing the game of soccer, but like, there's just no sort of like root for him, you know, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. uh, that like, it's so awesome that he's able to be drawn back into the game. Um, maybe we'll see, you know, more teams in places like Burlington or whatever. Uh, but, um, it was really, I, I was, I really, uh, thank, uh, Stephen in, in Halifax for getting this chance to sort of like, you know, um, to talk about sort of his method and in, in, in what he uh, is going to be looking for. I really like this idea that you really don't know how people are going to combine until you see them uh, when you see them come together. And and people have been trying to to rank all the players, and it's really funny that that we talked about this and and Stephen Hart. We talked about you know. There is one ranking where they were ranked at the bottom and, and I, in, I just said people are ranking players. He's like, ah, don't worry about it. And then the next day they signed two strikers <laughs> that are, or two, two players, one from Colombia, one from Peru that played together. Um, I think the other real thing that's interesting about that is, is this element of everybody that's playing together has played together somewhere else. Mm. Mm-hmm. So no matter if the city is, is a, is a strange location. Um, nobody is entirely alone in that team. And I think that that's a really interesting sort of way to, to build a, a group. Absolutely. And, and we see it happen in MLS all the time. And I think it's a good reminder to us is that, you know, these players have played together in many different combinations, even if you look globally. Um, and that ultimately it's fun to be an armchair analyst and think about what your club is going to do, but this is not FIFA manager uh, and, you know, scouts and coaches are seeing things that we don't get to see and they're making decisions based off of many more years experience. And yeah, sometimes things don't turn out the way you would hope. Um, but it's a lot harder than it looks. And it's certainly, if you're just looking at a team on paper and being like, well, I've never heard of any of these guys or like, where's our DP signing? It, that doesn't always tell the whole story. And especially at this level, there's just so much yet to be written and understood. So I appreciated that that was kind of a, a nice reality check. And I felt like a bit more of a nuanced way of uh, reminding us <laughs> soccer fans who like to opine about things that, uh, you know what, 
we may know a lot, but we're not the experts. And also, there's just so much stuff that goes into making. Now that uh, now that we've gotten now that we've uh, we've started at the beginning, um, yeah, yes. there's uh, there's <laughs> there's there's only the future in front of us. And in uh, in that future, where can we find you online? You can find me online on Twitter and Instagram at that's so MLS, taking pictures, uh, screen caps of sad Tim Howard. Where can we find you online? You can find me at Team Bates on Twitter, www.team-bates.com. I am an editor at Howler Magazine, whatahowler.com. You can find this podcast at that's so ML, or at www.thatsomls.com. And on Twitter, um, or sorry, and on Apple Podcasts and wherever you uh, can find your podcast. I mean, you can find it on Twitter, too. You can find it on Twitter, too. Absolutely. Great. Well, until next week, week number two, mark the far post. <laughs> Please mark and, the far post. And don't get sent off. And, and that, too. <laughs>